Good evening. How are y'all doing tonight? I'm doing great. Everybody surviving the weather? Right? Like the flood's coming, right? It's like one whole day of rain like this and start building arcs, right? Did I see a thumbs up? Are we good back there? Okay, fantastic. All right. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. This is our last Wednesday night of 2021, and so I'm glad to uh, be here with all of you to share it with you and to get into the Word with you. Where we are continuing through First Peter, we're going to be in. Uh, we are going to be in First Peter chapter two. Looking at verses four through ten tonight, and what we're going to be talking about is our spiritual house, our spiritual house. If you watch uh, cable TV or use any of the many streaming services across your devices, whether it's on your phone or whatnot, you may have noticed over the last couple decades a proliferation of home renovation shows, home flipping shows, home decorating shows, home designing shows, every show you could possibly think of about fixing up the house, right? Way back in the day, I was five uh, in 1979, um, one of the very first home renovation shows started called This Old House, and some of you may remember it, right? Yeah. And it was one of the earliest shows that took this concept of helping you renovate your house. It started, like I said, in 1979. It is still on today, celebrating its 41st season. Nowadays, if you look up uh, home renovation shows, you see everything from, you know, fixer-uppers to flip or flop to flip this house to, you know, all kinds of different titles. And it's funny because when you think of a lot of those titles of those shows, they're, they're, they're kind of apt titles for us, right? <laughs> at least from God's perspective as he would look out at our lives and see us as, as, as fixer-uppers worthy of investment, you know. And so tonight I want to talk about um, the old house that we are all a part of the old house that we are all a part of, and it's called the Church of Jesus Christ. This house, this home is 2,000 years old, and it is God's eternal building project until he comes back. You know, building projects um, are kind of God's forte, and, and his house, the church, is a building project that he is always interested in. God is always working on this old house. He is always building. He is always fixing. He is always mending. And he's never finished adding to this house stone by stone as the years go, go on. And, you know, quite frankly, I think God loves building projects, right? If he didn't love building projects, I don't think he would have bothered saving me, right? And I think many of us would identify with that, you know. Um, but out of all the building projects that, that God has, you know, right, you think God created the universe, God's created, you know, all the mysteries of black holes and planets and everything that's out there, and, and then you go down into atoms and quarks and all the mysteries of the universe we can't even see yet. I think God's favorite building projects are you and me. We are his favorite building projects. Jesus once spoke about heaven being his father's house, and he said this in John chapter 14, verse 2. He said, in my father's house are many rooms, or many mansions, as other translations say. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Now, Jesus there was speaking of a literal place, heaven, and that there was literally a building project that, that he went back to go do to get ready for us, and he's building a place that, that, that you know, one day you and I Every believer will go to be with him in heaven forever to dwell with the Lord. But until then, what Peter is talking to us tonight in verses 4 through 10 is about the now reality of God's building program here on earth, building up the church, which is his family, his children, you and I. And since Peter is using architectural analogy in his writings and verses here, um, I'm going to build on that analogy as well. And we're going to look at the spiritual building, the spiritual work that God is doing. We're going to look at four parts of it. We're going to see the foundation, which is Christ. We're going to see the structure itself, which is us. We're going to see the blueprints, which is the word of God. And then we're going to take a look at the construction crew, both a good one and a bad one. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for the work you do in our lives. God, I think every single one of us truly are fixer-uppers. And yet, Lord, you saw the potential in us. You saw the, the, just everything you created within us, Lord, through the sin, through the, through the dilapidation, through all of it, God. And, and Lord, you said, you know, if I could just get into that house, I could build it up into something wonderful. 
And Lord, so many of us have let you in, into our lives, God, and have been a, just the blessed recipients of that work, Lord. But it's not just about us individually, God. It's about your church, your church, which is more than just any building or physical location, Lord. Your church is your people. And God, tonight as you speak to us about our, our place, our piece of that work, God, that we would be encouraged, Lord, by what you're doing, that we would be encouraged by your work, Lord, and that we would know that, that although sometimes we may feel like we're a lost cause, Lord, in your eyes, we're never a lost cause. And so, God, speak to us, bless us, encourage us, Lord. Draw us close to you, God. And as we close out this year and look forward to the new year and what 2022 has, God, we never want to forget, Lord, to submit ourselves into your hands so that you would do your work in our lives at all times. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I start, I forgot to mention our New Year's Eve service is going to be here in the room and online this Friday at 7 p.m. So if you're here local, we would love to have you come join us as we celebrate the new year. We are going to be taking communion. So we'll be doing that here in the room. If you're going to be joining us online, just please make sure you get your communion, communion emblems ready. And we'll see everybody here at 7 o'clock on Friday. Okay, back to tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone... Rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so let's start with the foundation here. Peter opens up with saying, look, as you come to him, and he calls him, Jesus Christ, a living stone. Now, Peter's analogy of this house, this spiritual house that God is building, um, in, in Peter's analogy, the building is made of stone, okay? It's very important to, to point that out. You know, when you visit Israel, and if you've ever had a chance to visit Israel, I'm sure you were blessed. If you haven't, please do so at some point in your life because it is amazing. But one of the things you'll find out and notice in Israel, especially when it comes to ancient construction, is there's not much two-by-four wood construction in Israel, all right? Here, it's, it's wood, two by fours, you know, two by sixes, whatever. That's all our construction here on, in the States, you know. But, but there, you don't find much of that. Everything is made of stone. It's cut stone. It's stone blocks. It's, it's just different types of stone. And the reason is because in the Middle East, in, in the Holy Land, stone is really the most abundant resource there, right? There's not a whole lot of wood. There's not a whole lot of trees, but lots and lots of stone. And so in his analogy here, he's talking about living stones, that both Jesus is the living stone, and we're going to talk about that more in a little bit, and then we, as the members, the, 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 the pieces of the spiritual building that he's building, we too become living stones. And so um, in Peter's analogy, and especially to his original readers, you know, they would be thinking of places like the temple, places like Jerusalem. Um, and so, you know, he has in mind the structure made of stone, and that's why he uses the term living stone. Now, the term living stone is kind of a weird phrase to call Jesus, because when you think of stone, you don't necessarily think of life, Right? When you think of stone, you, you, you tend to think quite the opposite. You know, we have phrases in our language like stone cold, right? Stone dead. Turn to stone usually indicates, you know, in, 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 in fantasy elements that they died, right? The Medusa looked at them and they turned to stone, right? It doesn't mean, oh, they, they had life. No, they died, right? It's, it's these concepts of stone and, 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 and all of that are, are lifelessness and, and hardness and coldness. But the word here used for stone in the original language, means exactly this. A specific rock made in a specific shape for a specific purpose. So it's not just talking about any old rock, right? Now, Peter, of course, in using the word stone here, he's referencing all the strength that stone has, all the stability that stone has. And, but he's talking about more than just any old rock. He's talking about something made for a specific purpose. And he calls it a living stone. And obviously we understand that because as he's speaking about Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus Christ was the one who was dead and is now risen from the dead and alive today. And so he calls Jesus the living stone. And he goes on to further describe Jesus ahead in verse 6. He says, For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, and that's the same word, a specific type of rock in a specific shape made for a specific purpose. 
He says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So when you think, okay, he's calling Jesus this living stone, something strong, something stable, but, but a rock made for a specific purpose in a specific shape, we think, what shape, what purpose? Well, it's a cornerstone. That's what Peter is using here. He calls him a cornerstone. Now, in ancient struct- structures especially, cornerstones were the most important part of the structure. The soundness of the structure depended on the cornerstone. You know, back in ancient times, they didn't pour a concrete slab. They didn't, you know, you need to make a foundation that we're going to build all the wood framing on top of. That's not how structures were built. What they would do is they would find this cornerstone that was literally the corner of the building. It established the foundation of the building. It was the base of the structure. But the cornerstone was much more important than any other stone in the building of a structure because the shape of the cornerstone had to be very precise because it set the angles for the rest of the building, right? This side of the cornerstone was going to be that side of the building. This side was going to be that side of the building. So if the angles were off, if the shape was off, it was very bad for the structure. Typically, cornerstones were the largest and heaviest stones since they formed the footing of the entire building. And what they did is they provided, like I said, the foundation, the symmetry, the measurement for the whole structure, for the whole thing. And so if the angle of the cornerstone was off just a little bit, the entire building would be off. And if you know anything about geometry and and, and all that type of stuff, if the angle is off a little bit here, as you follow that angle farther and farther away, the error gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so if the stone wasn't cut just right, if it wasn't put into place just right, if it wasn't just the level as it needed to be and whatnot, the whole building could collapse. And so when it comes to this spiritual house that we are, this spiritual house that is called the church, the spiritual house that God is building, Peter is telling us that Jesus is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation on which everything is built from. It's a simple truth, right? But I think we need to be reminded of it sometimes. Because it's very easy in our, in, our, in our Christian walk sometimes to be like, yeah, Jesus is, is, is the foundation and stuff, but then we start to depend on other things more than Jesus. We start to maybe put our, our, our dependence in, in, our, in our observances and our duties, and those things are good things, but when those things take precedence over just Jesus himself, knowing him, being in love with him, clinging to him, we find ourselves in dangerous situations. So we have to understand that Jesus Christ, not just what he said, not just what he did, but he, he himself, what he did, should be the foundation that our faith is built on. And so he said there in verse 4, as you come to him. That's when the process of this building project starts. It's when we come to Jesus. Jesus himself used this phrase in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He said, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, God desires for us his creation. He desires, really, for all mankind, peace, joy, rest, forgiveness, salvation. That's that's his intent for all of mankind. But he doesn't force it on anybody. The process of him beginning that building project in our lives and renovating who we are from the inside out starts with us coming to him, coming to him. And that process starts when we come to Christ because he is the basis of a changed life. He is the foundation of our changed life. So then we get to the structure itself. Look in verse five. Peter says, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this is a pretty heavy thought here, all right? It is one thing to come to the living stone, right? It is one thing to come to Jesus. It is something entirely altogether on a different level to become a living stone. But that's exactly what it says here, and it's the whole point. You see, here's the glory of of our lives being formed and built by God. When we come to Christ, 
the process begins of us becoming like Christ. We call that discipleship. We call that sanctification. We call that all kinds of fancy words, right? But the process is when we come to Christ, we become like Christ. We are changed. We are transformed. The Bible says we are given a new heart. We become new people. We may look the same on the outside, but the essence of who we are is different because our spirit is born again. And when we follow Christ and we're obedient to him and follow him diligently, we become more and more like him. That's just the side effect of following Christ. And so it's a very easy question to ask ourselves, man, if I'm not becoming more and more like Christ, it's because you're not following him. You're not being obedient. You're not doing what he says. You know, the very term Christian coined as a, as a bad word originally. It was coined as a derogatory term. It literally means little Christ or Christ follower, right? It's the Christian way of saying mini-me. That when uh, you call yourself a Christian, what you were saying is, is I'm a little Christ. And what we mean when we say that is that when you look into my life and my actions and my behaviors and how I talk and how I act, you should see Jesus. You should see his character flowing through my life. You should see his wants, his wills, his desires. You should see the love that he has flowing through us. And it's because that stone is alive. He is the living stone. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins are also made alive. He was a living stone. We also become living stones. It means we aren't dead anymore, right? We're not inanimate, cold rocks anymore. We are made spiritually alive by his life, by his strength. So we who were dead are made alive by the one who died and who rose to life again. There's a story of a king in ancient Sparta. I don't know if it was Leonidas or not. I couldn't find that detail. But this king in Sparta used to brag about the walls of Sparta. He would brag about how strong they were, how massive they were, how unbreakable the walls of Sparta were. And one day, another king came to visit the king of Sparta. And he said, you know, I've, I've, I've heard these stories about the, the impenetrable walls of Sparta. But as I'm here looking around, there's no walls. Where are the walls you've been bragging about? Well, the king turned and he pointed to his troops his well-disciplined troops, and he goes, there they are. My men are the mighty walls of Sparta. Now, in a similar way, Jesus Christ can point to you and I as his kids and say, these are the stones of the building that I am building. These are the very walls that make up the structure that is the church. It's not this building. It's not any physical dwelling place. It's not a park or, or a, a warehouse or anywhere else. The church is us. We are the people. We are the living stones that God is using to build his church. And so Jesus would point to us and say, they are the living stones. They share my life. They share my strength. This is what scripture means when it says we are in Christ. And Christ is in us, right? Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then verse 4 says, By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature. Pretty amazing. We come to Christ. As he begins his work in us, we become like Christ. We don't become Christ. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to preach this nonsense that we're all part of the Christ consciousness and blah, blah, blah. That's garbage, right? But he molds us and shapes us to be more like him in our lives, and that's what I'm talking about. We share in his nature. We have life because he has life. We're given the strength of Christ himself to live. We're given everything that he is. You know, we are co-heirs. There's a mystery of that term. We are co-heirs with Christ. 
That means everything Christ was given as the inheritance as God the Son, the second part of the Trinity, everything that, 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 that he was afforded in his, his glory, we share in that inheritance as his kids. It's pretty amazing. The verse 5, as he said, you yourselves as living stones, then he calls us a spiritual house. So, so far we've looked at the foundation which is Jesus Christ of the spiritual house God is building. He's the one that sets the angles. He's the one that gives the direction. But he's all about building people up. We're a spiritual house. God is about people. As I've said a couple times already, Christianity is not about the church in the structure. It's not about the pews. It's not about the carpet. Right? This stuff is all transitory and falls apart. I can't tell you how many times we, we come in to have church and the camera's flickering or the thing's not working or there's a leak in the roof or there's a hole in the bathroom ceiling and it's flooding and, and there's just, it's like, man, this structure is just limited and temporary and wow, I am so glad that God's not going, I'm investing everything into this physical structure and calling that the church, that's what's gonna change the world. Because if our physical structures were supposed to change the world, we're doomed. We're doomed. It's people. It's not about temples. It's not about the stuff. It's about people. Paul, when he was speaking to the people of Athens in Acts chapter 7, verse 48, he said, but the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. He doesn't dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. He dwells in people. He's about building us up. And Peter's point is that we are the spiritual house. We are the temple that God dwells in. We are the dwelling place of God. Again, a simple truth, and we're all familiar with that as believers. But sometimes we let that truth kind of fall by the wayside and not govern how we behave on a moment-by-moment basis. You know, we've all experienced you, you go to a certain place and there's a reverence for that place. So you get on your best behavior when you go to that place, right? We've all experienced that. Some of us, it's like grandma's house, right? Oh, you go to grandma's house. You don't act up at grandma's house because, you know, she'll throw a shoe at you or something, you know? There's, there's, a, there's a reverence, there's an authority there, and there's a respect for that. And, and in ancient Israel, they had the temple, and it was like, that's where God dwells, and right, the temple was this holy place, right? And so people would go there, and oh, they're on their best behavior, right? And they've got to have a proper sacrifice, and they've got to do all these things. But when they would leave that place, some would fall to the temptation of, okay, I'm not at the holy place anymore, so now I don't have to behave holy. But if we are the temple... We carry the temple with us everywhere we go. We never leave the place where we're supposed to be on our best behavior. We never leave that place where God dwells because he dwells within us. So how much more, so, how much more, how much more should we be cognizant of, 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 of just, are, are, we, are we glorifying God with our behavior and our actions or are we not? I'm jumping around the verses here, and I do apologize, but my points are kind of disconnected a little bit in that sense. So he calls us a spiritual house, but look at verse 9. He goes, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Interesting phrases he uses there. You're a chosen race, right? You're my chosen people. That's a callback to the Jews being a chosen race, but we know in the Gospels it says that when, when, when Christ came, he, he, he grafted Gentiles into the people of God and we're, 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 we're either all Jews, if some people look at it that way, or we're a new people. But the point is, is that we're a chosen race, God's children. We're a royal priesthood, but then he uses this phrase, a holy nation. We are a holy nation. Right? We're all familiar with that kind of thing. We identify by our... our, um, our um, uh, nationality, I'm American, I'm this, I'm that, right? But it's a descriptor of the group of people and what they identify with. But he's going, don't forget, you're a spiritual house. And as a part of that spiritual house, you have all these different identifiers that, that, that define who you are. 
In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, it says, But Christ was, a faith, was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household. Now, it's interesting. We think household, we typically think the people of the house. The Greek word for household there literally means the house, the dwelling place. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. We are God's home. I can't explain why he would want to live in this house. But he does. He wants to. <laughs> he looks at my life and our lives and he goes, man. And we look at it and we're like, oh, yeah, bad deal. Bad deal. Don't invest here. He's like, nah. Nah. He's like, I don't care what the cost is, right? He paid the, 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 the greatest cost ever, the precious blood of his son. He said, I'm, I'm actually gonna sacrifice the most precious thing in all of creation to, to purchase you because I have a vision for your life. God builds up his kingdom by using people and he isn't done yet. That's what I'm super excited about. He's not done yet, right? Every single time a person comes to Christ, there's another living stone added to the structure. And he just keeps building this glorious spiritual house. And you'll notice we're not just the house, but this house has a royal priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Do you see the analogy, right? The central focus of, of God's presence and God's ministry at the time of the writing of his letters was the temple in Jerusalem. That was the central focus, right? You wanted to go see God, you went to the temple. You wanted to go talk to God, you went to the temple. You wanted to um, have someone go in and talk to God for you, you had to go all the way to the temple to talk to the priests because they were the only ones that could get into God's presence. They were the only ones that could talk to God. And Peter is telling us, look, we don't go to the temple. We are the temple. He's telling us we don't come to God through a priest. Christian, you are the priest. You are the representative of God to the world. You don't have to go to confession. You just confess when you need to. Because you are his spiritual house. You are his royal priesthood. God doesn't live over there in some building because he lives in you. Because you are the spiritual house and every believer has access to his presence just like the priest did in the temple. But that also means, like a priest, we have a responsibility to be holy like those priests were expected to. You know, we can't ever carry that thinking forward that, you know, I only have to be holy over there in that building. And that's what they thought when God's presence was limited to the temple. I got to be in my best behavior over there. Today, it's, well, I got to put on my church behavior when I go to church. You know, I'm not going to talk the way I do every other day of the week when I'm at church. No, I'm going to clean up my language. I'm not going to be mean and backbiting the way I am every other day of the week because I'm at church. When you leave church, this building, on a Sunday or a Wednesday, and you go home, you're still at church because you are the church. You are the dwelling place of God. We never leave the temple of God because we are the temple of God. We never leave the service of God because we are priests in the temple that we are. And we have a responsibility, it says in verse 5, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Now, what kind of spiritual sacrifices would you and I, should you and I possibly be offering to God? Well, God told us in his word, one of them is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. You know what that means? That means the call in our lives as believers is basically to say, God, here are my hands. God, here are my feet. 
God, here is my mouth and my voice. God, here are my eyes. God, here are my ears. God, here's my whole body. I offer it to you. I present it to you for your purpose, for your glory, for your worship. And so, so since my eyes are the temple, the windows of the temple, I'm not going to allow them to look on anything that, that dishonors you. Since my ears are the, the, the point where sound comes into the temple, I'm going to make sure that I'm listening to stuff that, that's, that's good and wholesome, that is good for my spiritual walk. It also means our mouth. To be mindful and to, to be wise and to, and to be healthy and to not be just gluttonous in our, in our life and our consumption. It also means to use our hands to, to do the work that he is calling us to do for his kingdom, to, to use our feet to go where he is calling us to go. And then back to our mouth to open it, that the glories of God would come out of it. The gospel being preached to those that need to hear it. It's giving ourselves to him. But he says there in Romans 12:1, a living sacrifice, right? It's not a dead sacrifice. We're not a dead stone. Why? We have been made alive in Christ. We are a living stone of a royal priesthood. Problem with living sacrifices is they tend to want to squirm off the altar. Right? Living sacrifice is like, oh, it's hot up here. Oh, you're about to stab me with a sacrificial knife, right? Peace out, I'm gone. But the idea is, Lord, I give you my life. And he's not going to burn us up. He's not going to chop us up with a sacrificial knife. We give our life to him and he uses it to his glory. Another sacrifice we offer is praise, right? Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. The fruit, the result of lips that confess his name is praise. Is worship. How is praise a sacrifice? Well, we've all been there, right? Sometimes you don't feel like worshiping. Sometimes the last thing you want to do is put on that, 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 that Christian playlist on Spotify and just sing praises. That's the last thing you want. Right? My background is metal and punk rock, right? There are some metal bands I used to listen to, and over the years, even up until in recent years, sometimes I'm like, you know, I want to... I want to go listen to that metal band again, and I'll turn it on. As the years have gone by, it's more and more distasteful. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, why do I want to listen to this garbage? You know, there's good Christian metal out there. Hey, amen to that. But, but there's stuff that, that just isn't good for us. Praise always is. Worship always is. And when we don't feel like saying God is awesome, when we don't feel like saying, God, I believe you. God, I trust you. When we don't feel like saying any of that, we do it anyways. And that's a sacrifice. Obediently doing the good that God wants us to do is also an offering to God. Because right after it says, offer up to God a sacrifice of praise in Hebrews thirteen sixteen, it says, don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Don't neglect to do what is good. It's an offering to God. God, I want to bring an offering to you. I want to I bring something to you that just, just lets you know how much I appreciate you and how much I love you. And he goes, good, do good. Do good. Share. Pretty simple. Philippians 4, Paul talking to the Philippians gives us a picture that, that the giving of our resources is also uh, an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord, whether it's our resources of our, of our time, whether it's the resources of stuff we have, right? Or it's, it's the resources, our financial resources, it's a sacrifice. Paul said that their financial giving in Philippians 4 was an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so when we're generous in with what God's given us and we give that back to to. to, to to be a part of the church we're doing and to see the work go out and we're funding missionaries and we're doing Operation Christian Child Boxes and all those things, it's a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord. So we are a spiritual priesthood, part of a spiritual house made of spiritual living stones being built together solidly 
on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. How awesome. We can't fall. If we build on the Lord, we can't fall. If we depend on him, we can't fall. However, it's also a messy endeavor, right? Some of us have done projects at our houses and homes and stuff. You think it's going to be an easy renovation, right? And it turns into a 10-year thing. I was just supposed to replace the sink, and next thing you know, it's like gotten out of hand, right? That's our lives. And it's messy, but, but God will keep going. God will never give up. You know, in the, the messiness of building us together, we are each individual living stones in this spiritual structure called the church that God is building to glorify his name. We don't always fit together, do we? We don't always get along. We don't always rub each other the right way. Sometimes we're unkind to one another. Sometimes we, 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 we let the enemy get in and divide and cause divisions among us. But still, God's like, all right, I'm not going to throw you away. I'm just going to chip off some of the rough edges. I'm going to keep working in and through you so that you would fit together to be a part of the building I am building. And he always does that because we're family. We're family, guys. So we have the basis, the foundation, which is Jesus, the structure, which is us, and then you have the blueprints. Okay, Peter refers to the blueprints in verse 6 where he says, for it stands in Scripture. Right? For it stands in Scripture. And then he goes on to quote Scripture in verses 6, 7, and 8. And in verses 6, 7, and 8, he's quoting from the Old Testament Scripture. But what he's doing in quoting these three Scriptures is he's saying, look, the building that we're a part of, it's not a project that just sort of happened. It's not a project. The church that God is building isn't something that he was like, oh, shoot, I've got to figure out how to do this now because plan A didn't work. Sometimes we might think that, yeah, we were the afterthought. You want to build your church out of, uh, out of our lives? Yeah, surely that wasn't plan A. That was always plan A. He mentions three Old Testament scriptures that refer to, to him building through this stone, this cornerstone, the foundation of all of it. The first one, uh, in, vo- in verse 6, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And Isaiah 28, 16 is speaking of the cornerstone, Jesus, that everything will be built on, right? We're going get, to get into that a little more, or a little bit later. Verse 7, he's quoting Psalm 118, 22, which speaks of Jesus being rejected by those who are supposed to be the temple of God. And then the third one he quotes in verse 8 is from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, which speaks about how Jesus would become the very thing they trip over in their desire to build on themselves or to build according to their own blueprints. The blueprint is scripture. That's why we gotta read it. That's why we gotta study it. That's why we gotta know it, right? I'm personally this next year going, okay, you know what? I've, I've, I've started, I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but you know, um, you go, okay, it's the beginning of the year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a daily Bible, right? I'm gonna read the whole Bible in a year. And we make it six months four months, three months, right? Some of us have made it all the way through, all the way through, praise God. I've never made it all the way through. I think I've read the whole Bible in different parts and places, but, but, but just reading all the way through it. And so this year I'm like, hey God, I just want to make a renewed commitment to do that because your word is the blueprint. Right? One of the reasons here at Hosanna that, that we teach and, we, and we've, you know, for years Largely, uh, we followed the, the, the kind of the Calvary Chapel thing, right? Is where we'd go through Scripture, and here, especially on Wednesday nights, where we'd go chapter by chapter and verse by verse through, through the whole Bible. Why do we do that? Why did, why did Calvary start doing that? It's because the tendency is, is if you're only going to pick and choose to teach certain things, you're going to avoid the things that you don't want to teach. Now, that doesn't mean teaching topically is bad. By no means is that bad, Right? Taking topics out of Scripture and saying we're going to focus on this, it's a wonderful thing. But I heard a pastor once who, who taught, a, taught a study, and it was on a very difficult passage. It was something that really challenged the body. And he goes, you know what? Some of you might be upset at me for preaching on this. And, and you know, why are you, why are you going through this? And he goes, the reason I'm pe- preaching on what I'm preaching on today is because it was next. 
And that's what we get when we start in Genesis 1-1. And I think Pastor Gary went through Genesis to Revelation eight times in, in his ministry here at Hosanna. Praise God. And we're going to keep doing that and keep going through the word, all of it, so that we get all of the instruction on how to live and how to be and, and who God wants us to be. And the last thing we're going to look at is the two different kinds of construction crew that are mentioned. There's the false one and the real one. There's fake self-appointed builders who are trying to alter the plan or build according to their own plans, and then you have the real, real builder, which is God. Go back to verse 4, 1 Peter 2. He goes, as you come to him, a living stone, then he describes this living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. Jump to verse 6. He goes, for it stands in Scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They, the unbelievers, stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined for this. So the unbelieving They're the fake builders, right? In Peter's mind, I'm sure he was thinking of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the time. They were the Jewish caretakers of the religious system that was Judaism. They were the self-appointed builders of God's kingdom on earth, right? But unfortunately, what they did is they had taken God's blueprints and they had added and changed and interpreted in ways that, that God didn't intend, So the picture here that, that, that he is describing to us is that they took out their tape measure the tape measure of their own religion, the tape measure of their own opinions, the tape measure of their own ideas of what should and shouldn't be God's word. And then they measured Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And they measured his claims to be the Messiah. And they checked out all his claims that, you know, possibly he is a cornerstone. And they measured all of this according to their own religion. And instead of measuring according to God's blueprints, measuring according to their own, they rejected him. They rejected him. They said, he's not qualified to be the cornerstone. He's not qualified to be the Messiah. He can't be. And people still do that today. Right? People think, I'm going to build my life on everything but Jesus. And ultimately, it all falls. And they go, no, 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 I have this great education. I have this great business concept. I have, you know, friends. I have connections. And so I'm going to build my life on these things. And in and, of those thing, in and of themselves, those things aren't necessarily bad, but they build their life on everything but Jesus. And everything but Jesus is temporary and will burn. And ultimately, things fall apart. They look Jesus over. They think about him a little bit. They might consider, you know, what he's saying, but then they reject him. Because he said, his blueprints don't work. He is not the foundation of my life. I'm going to build on my own ideas. And he says they stumble. They stumble. They trip over Jesus. Why? Because they disobey the word. But then you have the real builder, God himself, right there in verse 6. It says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. Jesus, the living stone, chosen and honored by God. Now that word honored there could also be translated precious to God, right? When God the Father looked over the cornerstone and said, I'm going to build my church on this and measured him with the measurements of his own perfection, he said, I approve. He said, it's perfect. It's exactly what humanity needs. It's exactly what people need to build a life that is good and right. Doesn't mean easy. Life isn't always easy, even for believers, but it'll be exactly according to what God wants it to be. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Then in verse six, he said, to the one who believes, no shame will come upon you, And to the one who believes, verse 7, honor will come to you. Other translations say to those who believe, he will be precious to you too. 
What it means there in verse 7 is that the same honor God gives to Jesus, the same value that God gave to Jesus as a cornerstone, saying he's perfect, he's adequate, he's everything humanity needs, he's exactly what they need. That same feeling, that same perspective, that same attitude towards Jesus, God builds in us. It becomes a part of our heart attitude towards Jesus as we submit ourselves to him and let him do his work in our lives. And that leads to a life built on Christ, built the right way. Jesus came to the leaders and people of his time and they rejected him. They said, we don't want him and what he has to say. And they crucified him. They got rid of him. And this is why the author of this letter, Peter, said in Acts chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, speaking to the very people that crucified him. He said, look, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has now become the cornerstone. In other words... Humanity, you might have rejected Jesus. Mankind, you might have rejected the cornerstone. But God the Father did not. God the Father accepted him. God the Father approved of him. And it's saying there that that Jesus being raised from the dead is the very proof that he was the perfect and acceptable foundation, the perfect and acceptable savior of the world, completely satisfying the wrath of God on our sin. And so although the world looks at Jesus and they say, not for me, I'm not going to build my life on him. I'm going to reject him. Those of us that know him, we've received forgiveness. We've received mercy and grace and peace and joy and salvation. And we're called to honor him as God honors him. We're, We're called to consider Jesus as precious as God the Father considers God the Son precious. And he is precious to us as he is precious to the Father. And the more time we spend with him, the more time we submit our lives to him, the more time we obey his word and live according to how he wants us to, he continues to mold us and shape us and build us into the people he's calling us to be. It's the Christian, Christianese things you've heard before, right? But it's biblical. More of Jesus, less of me. Get out of the way. Follow him. Learn of him. Fall in love with him. If you're like, I've been walking for Jesus a long time, but I'm not feeling that love relationship anymore, ask God to rekindle that in your heart. Ask God to ignite that flame of just just being in love with him all over again. Because when we're in that place of we're just in love with him, we just want to hang out with him, and we just want to talk to him, and we want him to talk to us, and right? We just can't get enough. And we can ask for him to do that in our hearts again. And because we are a chosen race, because we are his royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that he is greatly pleased to call his, no, call his own, a people that, that he made us into through Jesus Christ, into the spiritual house where his presence dwells, we can be good. We can be holy if we just let him do his work in our lives, if we just submit ourselves to him, if we just follow the blueprint, if we just build on nothing but the foundation of Christ, he will make us into holy people. He will build us into the people he wants us to be and we can have that life of blessing because he's the one that sets all the angles. He's the one that establishes all the direction. He's the one that guides and directs. And because of that, because of that work he's doing in our lives, that work of building us up into the spiritual house, it says in verse 9 and 10 that we could proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, it says you, but I'm adding us all into this here, right? Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And so let's be the church. 
Let's operate as the church, not the building and the structures, but the very dwelling place of God. As we go forth into this world, we are literally the temple of God, taking the presence of God into the lives of people who desperately need him. And as one broken, dilapidated house to another, when we go up to those other broken houses and we say, hey, I want to share Jesus with you. Jesus loves you. God loves you so much. They're going to look at our lives and go, you're messed up. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm forgiven. But you're messed. Yeah, but I've received God's grace and mercy and he's changing me and he could change you too. So this isn't necessarily the, let's start the new year with this. Let's just do this, regardless of the day and the time. Let's be the church, people. Let's be the very temple of God going into this world to take the glory of God and the praises of God to the dark places that desperately need that, need it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, if we were the ones to evaluate our own lives and we were looking at, do we flip this house or do we flop this house, Lord? I think we would all walked away. But God, you do the impossible. You change lives. You change relationships. God, you, you do miracles. And God, we're so thankful for the work you've done in our lives and Lord, humbly, we, we want to see more of that, God. We just ask you to continue to work, Lord, as you build us up into the spiritual house, God. That we would be temples that reflect your glory. That God is a royal priesthood living in obedience to you, God, that we would be holy as you are holy. That God, as we submit ourselves to the work of your spirit in our lives, Lord, we would allow you to chip off the rough edges when, when that needs to happen. We would allow you to mold us and shape us so that we would fit into the picture, the purpose that you have for us. Not just individually, but as a part of your church, God, and the the kingdom that you're building and what you want to do to reach this lost and dying world. And so, God, we ask that you would just continue to draw us close to you. That we would continually be molded and shaped by you. Lord, if there's anything in our lives that we've been building our lives on that isn't Jesus, Lord, help us to shift gears. God, if we've been following any blueprint other than your word and how to be, who to be, how to live, God, reveal that to us, that we would set those things aside, put them away, get rid of them, and to lean on nothing but the blueprint that is your word. God, we submit ourselves to you. We don't want to be the builders of our own lives. We want you to build within us, God. And so, Lord, do your work. We love you so much and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship, guys.